bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to Bad and Bitchy. I'm Bailey. I'm Erica. And I'm Erin. And we've got a lot to dig into this week. There's tons of stuff. So let's get started. Um, this week in feminism, we, uh, we coined, this is why the left can't have nice things. <laughs> and Erin will fully explain what that means. So last weekend, um, a writer in the UK, Lori Penny, um, tweeted out the following. All right. Frivolous question. While I am procrastinating writing, I'm very petite, and I want to buy actual cool clothes that fit. Where can I look? She then followed that up with, bracket, basically, where do small Asian women in the UK buy their clothes? That's what I need. So this prompted an extreme response from her followers and people who retweeted her. Um, basically calling her out as a racist um, for asking such an offensive question. And she ended up deleting the tweet and apologizing relentlessly for the content of it and, you know, got into many exchanges with her followers or people who were who were adding her and just saying that she was sorry for being offensive. That wasn't her intention. Um, and as, as the uh, resident Asian, uh, on this team, I want to say that this is all dumb. Really? Okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would tweet this. I, I don't find it offensive, but I think it's just poorly worded. Yes. I don't, like, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of Asian women from multiple ethnic backgrounds that are petite and regardless of whether she was talking about people from India or China or Japan, doesn't matter, but like they are generally can be quite petite. And so I think she just worded it very, very poorly, which is funny considering as a writer, words are her job. <laughs> and especially as a feminist, you'd think that she would like she has feminist in her bio and she writes for the New Statesman. Huh. And so I'm kind of like, but hey, it's Twitter, you know, things pop in your head and they type out on your page. On top of that, I would like, I, 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 if I were her, I wouldn't even delete the tweet. I wouldn't even bother. So yeah, so this kind of reminded me of this whole Nikki Ashton, Beyonce thing that we talked right. about last week. And like, so the reason I kind of added this to our agenda today with the qualifier of this is why the left can't have nice things is that we get over, I feel like we get oversensitized as people who are liberal or quote unquote socialist. Um, and we just are so, so worried about offending people that we, one, write things that we don't necessarily mean and are inaccurate. And two, we just get so, we're so worried about offending people that we just like, immediately apologize instead of making people adjust what their expectations of people are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if she, though, hadn't apologized, she might have gone down the road of, like, well, statistically speaking, Asian women are smaller or something like that. And then, like, if you take 
it out of like the size. I don't know. I feel like that's a dangerous road to go down. Sure. I also don't even think that the second the second tweet was necessarily warranted. Yeah, the part, I think she could have the just first not. tweet where says, "Where do pe- petite, people <laughs> petite women in the UK buy cool clothes?" Yeah. End of tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Why I think did she, she could have just ended it there? Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing was very very strange and it blew up. And didn't she have somebody like respond to her who was pretty courteous? Um, yeah, there was a, someone was like literally anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> no, I thought she was courteous, and, and she, <laughs> she, she, she was like she was like on her knees doing this mea culpa. I'm like, re- relax, okay? Yeah, she's not calling you anything. She's not saying anything to you except this is where I go. Um, basically, literally, literally any place in the UK has petite clothes. Which is true. Yeah. And, you know, bye. Have fun. Have fun shopping, you know? And she's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. And I'm just like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm just done. I, I don't want groveling. Okay? Well, I feel like it just speaks to how scared white people are of the R word. Like, yeah. you know, like, so scared. oh, dear God. Oh, really? So Especially scared that they ones. call the black person a racist <laughs> first? Because that's the first line of defense. I'm just saying. Okay, yeah, next. Or the <laughs> first... <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> on to the next one. So next up is Mayor John Tory of Toronto, who apparently supported gender equality motion, and then his office lobbied against it. Okay, so in a budget vote in February, John Tory voted in favor of a motion supporting gender equality in budgeting, while he's been accused of a cheat sheet from his office being circulated to allied councillors to vote against it. So basically, John Tory is being accused of the okie doke. <laughs> What I like to call the Kathleen Wynne okie doke on carding, but I digress. Okay. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, let me just first start by saying that I have no doubt that this happened. And mm. apparently this isn't the first time it's happened. Um, basically, the story goes, Councillor Kristen Wong Tam... Mm-hmm. Ward 27, Toronto Centre, Rosedale, um, moved a motion asking staff to help develop a gender-based framework to look at next year's budget and the impacts of budgetary and policy decisions on various gender, something Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Liberal government was is planning for the upcoming 2017 budget, which we will talk about later. Mm. So the motion passed um, 26 to 18, but what Wang Tam didn't know at the time is that what's known at City Hall as a cheat sheet was circulated by the mayor's office to councillors allied with the mayor. That cheat sheet told those councillors to vote against her motion. So the- basically, John Tory knew it would look bad to vote against the gender-based framework as the mayor, but didn't actually necessarily want it to pass. So he like tried to yeah. get other counselors who don't mind taking the gender hit. So from the more conservative yeah. areas of right. Toronto. But it backfired because it passed. It passed. Um, now what is 
what happens after this, I have no idea. But yeah, the motion passed. Um, I don't know what that means though. What does that mean? Is it in some sort of city politics limbo even though it passed? What do you mean? Like, I guess, what's the follow-up? They would have to develop a framework. Okay. So, and how likely is that to happen given a mayor who's been caught? Well, I guess now they just have to do it anyway. Right. The, the vote passed, and but now we just know that John Tory's a little shady. Shady. So, do you think he... So, obviously, he was against the motion. And so, what is the benefit to getting those counselors to vote against it? Like, I assume he would have known that this was either going to... Had a good chance of passing. Like, was he hoping to send some sort of message to Wong Tam about this not being something that a lot of people are interested in doing? Maybe his political talent matches Paul Ryan's right now. (laughs) Well... Uh, maybe, well, maybe he didn't actually think that it would pass if he got enough, like, enough of the cheat sheet allied. Like, maybe he thought he had enough allies that this was actually going to make it go away. I feel like we give Toronto a lot of credit for being a very progressive place, and it is just not. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the article, somebody called it the most, like, diverse city in the world, and I'm like, "Mm, I feel like no. It's not. Um, I think Toronto has built itself. Toronto is a reflection, a true reflection of Canada, 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 (laughs) (laughs) and its attitude towards diversity. Right. It is, it's in its, the way it presents itself is multicultural and open and diverse. Yet ask me what, like, I want to know why a lot of the boardrooms in Toronto are still white and male. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where? Why has that not translate to the politics and the economics and the seats of power? So I think that is a question that we have to ask. I don't buy this yay yay rah rah diversity shit. Yeah. I just don't. And it's for reasons like this with John Tory and his okie doke on the on the gender equality and Kathleen Wynne and her okie doke on carding that makes me that makes me scrutinize them just a little bit more Hmm. yeah i'm i guess i feel like this not exactly this but this kind of thing happens all the time where men in positions of power are like pat on the head to women like yes that's a great idea yes subsidize child care yeah yeah but then like as soon as they get with the other dudes they're like yeah fuck that we're not doing that (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that's exactly what happens yeah he's like we're not, we're not actually going to look at gender framework for a budget. That would be silly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Speaking of uh, diversity, um, this week was the International Day of the, for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Erica, do you have thoughts on this? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I read that statement, and I was like, wow, where they dig this up from, like, 1985? Like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the statement by the prime minister. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, what does he say? So, um, basically, we come together to recognize this day, whether here in Canada or around the world, racism devalues individuals, divides communities, and breeds fear and animosity throughout society. 
In Canada, diversity is a source of strength and a fundamental pillar of our country's success. While we've made important progress in the fight against racism and racial discrimination, much work still needs to be done. Far too many people around the world continue to be denied their most basic human rights simply because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background. The government of Canada strongly condemns any form of discrimination at home and in our global community. We will continue to promote inclusiveness, acceptance, and equality in Canada and around the globe and never stop working for a safer, more equal, and more respectful world. Hmm. I, like, I'm glad, I guess, he acknowledged the day. (laughs) And I, I I don't know. That's probably, but like, I think, I don't know, this to me is just like pretty top line, like, I think you could find people in Alabama that would say this, you know, like, like, I would love to see a lot more thought put into like, actual like actions and like, things like microaggressions, like, you know, yes, overt racism is happening, but I think it's quite more often that we're seeing like, like, insidious racism. And there's no thought to that in this statement. Have you ever watched? Okay, do you know College Humor? CollegeHumor.com? Yeah. College Humor had this um, <laughs> this video on diet racism. It is brilliant, <laughs> and I actually I will find that post and it. I will post it in the show notes on NotInMyColor.com. And we'll tweet it out. And we'll tweet it out because I think it's just it's a wonderful example of how people say I'm not racist, but mm. and it's always the but where you're just like, and here it comes. <laughs> Here comes what you're gonna say is racist. Yes, and so I, I, I think you know this is a grand. This is not a grand statement. I could have, I could have written this in my sleep. Mm-hmm. It's very top level. It's very sanitized, and it's the sanitization <laughs> that makes me wonder if they actually know what they're talking about. Well, yeah, and so I think some people may not know necessarily what microaggressions are. Mm. Um, so I experience these, you know, on a day-to-day basis, whether like on the internet or even at work. Um, I received an email one day at work that said they were celebrating, um, inclusion and diversity and, or, and they were doing some event for it. And, uh, they were doing this event because, uh, diversity and inclusion are very hot right now. They're oh, hot yeah. topics. <laughs> So I, so I mean, I complained because like that's just not an appropriate use of the term, and made this. And I also said that perhaps that um, they meant that these are very topical, <laughs> topical issues because because of the Trump administration and you know the Muslim travel ban, yeah. etc. And so they were like, yeah, that's actually what they meant. And I said, well, perhaps they should use the exact words that they mean. Yeah, not hot topic. I, I think, and I think that people have to understand that um, we're not a fad and we're not, we're not here to entertain you. Right. And I'm not here to mimic whatever thoughts of blackness you may have. Mm-hmm. I'm a Canadian. I grew up here. I was born here and I deserve to have as much rights as the white male next to me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why this is. It's not only about rights, but it's about it's about it's about 
the opportunities, mm -hmm. the opportunities for economic and social progress and inclusion. And we have, we no, sorry, we have not made progress on that. Yeah. So I don't think that this is even an accurate statement. Yeah, well, I mean, I I don't think that he mentions opportunity at all. No. I think it's very much against, like, don't call other people racist names. Yeah, and that is, uh, and to be honest, don't that is where, yeah, <laughs> don't shoot people in mosques. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. that seems, that's kind of this very overt, high-level High-level racism that yeah. can't be denied. Yeah, yeah. Once there is an opportunity to deny racism... Never ever, I never ever underestimate the ability as of especially white males mm. to deny that racism exists and white women too. Sorry, because yeah. I, I'm just like, as long as white supremacy is on the table, uh, there is we the conversation changes. Mm -hmm. it, it's like. It's like the merit argument, which just grates on my nerves. Yeah. Because the merit argument only comes into play when you want to extend the power and decision-making base to women and people of color. Yeah. Because it is just assumed that white males are merited for their jobs. And let me tell you, they ain't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've worked a bait. <laughs> so what I found really interesting about this statement is that it came out at a time, um, one on the same day as a poll f um, from um, Reuters and Ipsos um, that found that 48% of respondents want to deport migrants to Canada to the U.S., uh, while 36% want to accept them as they seek refugee status. Um, however, um, the same poll also shows that nearly half of Canadians want these asylum seekers fleeing to the, from the U.S. deported. So, you know, we really want multiculturalism, but we also don't want the people who need support from fleeing devastation to come here. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you know, there was a, a study conducted in B.C. by Van City. Um, that reports that 82% of British Columbians who identify as either a visible minority um, say that they have experienced discrimination or racism. 82%. So I'm going to put a little bit of a different lens on this 82% and talk about the model minority. Sure. Yeah. So I think what's interesting about this 82% poll is that Asians for a lot of whites are represent the model minority. Mm, yeah. So they work hard, they go to school, they get good jobs and they don't bother anybody. It's not like black people who are inherently violent. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah Asians it, don't talk back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We are the black sheep like Literally. <laughs> and you know, you have this model minority, but guess what? Even model minorities get discriminated against. Yep. So what's the point of 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 behaving in a way that pleases the greater white society while not fighting for your own rights? What's the point? Because you're going to get discriminated against anyway. Well, I mean, they act that way as like a cultural thing anyway. So they're, they're going to act that way regardless of whether they're getting discriminated against or not. Mm. It's just trying to break out of that mold. But do... Mm. Now, this is my question. 
given that it's cultural, should they break out of that mold? Or should they create a new Canadian identity that incorporates that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think they're kind of the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. I'm probing today. So. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. But yeah, like 82% of people living in, who are visible minorities in BC, like I'm from BC and I saw these numbers and I was like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. I had no doubt. Oh, they're astounding. I'm like, why is it so low? <laughs> yeah, it does seem low. It does seem a little low. 82%. 82%. I would, I would be like 87 and up, yeah. But they, at the same time, these people also think that multiculturalism is good or very good for Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and that most people also think that the number of refugees should either stay the same or increase. That's what they say. Yeah. But as, as John Tory has taught us. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing with surveys is that, you know, they, you always give the response you think that you want the other person to hear. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily reflect your actual views. Yeah. Like people who, like this 82% of the entire British Columbian survey think that multiculturalism has been good for Canada. I feel like a lot of them know that that's what they're supposed to say. But then if you push them and say like, so what about multiculturalism has been good for Canada? And what, what is your favorite thing about multicultural? Like, you know, I feel like then that's where you would start to like, you would see people's biases sort of. Uh, revealed. Yeah. I feel like. Um, I find, I posted the Quartz article on Facebook and I said something to the effect of, I don't know. I, now I can't even remember what I said. But my, my, my thoughts on this are that Canada uses multiculturalism as a way to point to the United States and say, we're better than you. It's mm-hmm. Canadian exceptionalism. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Canadian exceptionalism, and it's built on a bloody lie. And, you know, anyhow you try to, like, argue this with the average Canadian, it's like you've, you've come in and you've taken their entire identity. And this identity that we have on multiculturalism um, needs a rewrite. In, in my opinion, because like we're coming, we're at a time now where I guess the first major waves of non-white Canadian immigration, kids who were born here are now adults. Mm-hmm. So this is a great way to check ourselves and see how well we're actually doing at integrating people of diverse backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, and not just integrating, but giving them opportunities for success. Exactly. Making sure that they actually do have equal access to all of these sorts of things. All of these spaces and boardrooms and... Exactly. And if women, Mm -hmm. white women, don't have equal access to these spaces, these boardrooms, what hope is there for the rest of us? Let's be honest. (laughs) Let's let's keep it real. (laughs) Yeah, so that's my, those are my thoughts. And I, I, I've been, uh, like, I think that, I also think that the Prime Minister should have talked about structural racism and institutional racism if he wanted to be all woke. (laughs) 
Well, it's a good thing we're going to go talk about the budget now. <laughs> yeah, is the budget woke? That's the real question. I mean, it was the, the innovation budget. It was the feminist budget, too. It was the feminist budget, and yeah, I mean, like, I've gone through it. Looking at the gender framework, I do, I, there's a gender framework portion at the back that is, is a pretty good statement on, like, how a gender framework works. And I think, you know, all Toronto, all John, John Tory has to do is just plug, like, pull, cut and paste that section into his own budget. He could do it. Um, but, when, again, like, when it comes down to, like, actual, like, actions, it wasn't, there was a lot of, like, very broad language. Like, there was this whole section on women entrepreneurship and they were like we know that women entrepreneurs don't have access and we are gonna make sure they have access but no actual like and this is the money that we're gonna put in and like it just was really or the expectations that we have or acknowledging the systemic sexist culture yeah exactly it was it was very lean in style corporate gender equality they were like Women, we're going to take care of kids for you. Don't worry. So you can go to work. And it's like, well, Women can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, also not every single woman who wants to be an entrepreneur in Canada also is a mother or wants to be a mother. Like, childcare is not the only answer. Thank you. I'm yes. glad you said that. Amen, sister. Okay? <laughs> I am tired of hearing... Whenever we hear women's issues, I'm air quoting... Um, <laughs> we hear the first thing is childcare. Yeah. It's childcare. Yeah. Childcare. Childcare. And you know what? I childcare wanna... is important. Yes, yeah. it is important. Yeah. The children are our future. Great. Yeah. They're wonderful. I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Um. However, what about moving more women's into women's women <laughs> into board positions what about that or 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 as again again i keep i keep the boardrooms in this country are still male and white mm-hmm. and this idea that we have to take first of all i think childcare should be more community based mm-hmm. yes yeah there's no reason for there's that no reason i i don't i don't support a national framework for child care somebody unfollowed me because i said this once <laughs> and i'm like blah i'm my old podcast now so there i'll say it <laughs> okay <laughs> so um but i really do think it should be community-based well this goes exactly to what the government of canada's uh international women's day campaign was about where you had a picture of a man feeding and taking care of a child as though like, it's an exception. As, as though that yeah. is one, well, one, an exception that, like, yeah. two, men should be taking care of, like, their own children. But yeah. three, like, that's not women's work. Yeah, exactly. It's community work. It's the family's work. Why is childcare a women's issue? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when they were talking about the tech superclusters and like we're gonna be, he like they kept saying next Silicon Valley, next Silicon Valley, and I was like, Silicon Valley is like the most racist, misogynistic place you could live ever. Like, why would you go? Why would we try to recreate that model? That's a terrible model. It's like did a they rep- not read about Uber? <laughs> yeah, it's like 
Like they did, the, there was a survey done called the Elephant in the Valley, and it, they surveyed women. <laughs> the, the image that that provokes <laughs> is just very vivid. Yes, and it was something like, you know, again, like something like over 80% of women who work in these Silicon Valley tech startups or whatever have experienced microaggressions at work that are gender-based, and they, like... 90 of them had had, like, 90% had had, like, unwanted sexual advances (laughs) made by their male colleagues. Like, this is not, this is, we don't need to recreate that. We can, I think we could just leave that behind and think about a new way of doing tech that is actually diverse and inclusive. Let's not make Ottawa, like, Reddit, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're cruel. Yeah. Cruel. Yeah. Over there. Like, imagine Waterloo with the the campuses and then a Reddit <laughs> culture. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, my God. It would be horrific. Oh, my it would gosh. It like, would be like the frat life in a... Uh, but a nerdy frat. <laughs> yeah. Which is a bit disturbing, but anyway. <laughs> One good news. I am happy about a national action strategy on violence against women. We'll just see how what the actions actually are, but... Can, okay, A so- budgetary commitment to that, I think, is a good first step. And justice? I don't know enough about the justice. Okay, something. <laughs> oh, they're, but are they yes, giving they more do. money? They're, they're definitely, they're focusing on mental health in corrections, mm-hmm. which is also good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's other issues in corrections beyond mental health, but mental health. They cited Ashley Smith, who is the young woman who killed herself at Grand Valley Institution, mm-hmm. and had had a number of mental health struggles. So her name is used in the budget talking about what they're going to do to make it better. That didn't have any specific gender language to it. And women's mental health and men's mental health and then all the genders in between, I think they could think about that. And I also think they could think about if there's truly a gender lens on this correction system, people are housed based on their sex. So if you're on the gender spectrum or like not identifying with the sex you were born with, that's problematic in the justice system too, but we there was nothing about that in the budget. I don't know that we're there yet. Yeah. As a policy yeah. making body. Yeah, that might be. We'll take some time on that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll take a lot of time on that one. <laughs> so not because I don't think it shouldn't be not because I don't think it shouldn't be addressed, but just because we mm-hmm. still don't know what a lot of we can't even get bathrooms for people. Yeah. 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 Well, and the correction system itself just needs a a total overhaul. Well, apparently the Ottawa Detention Center is like one of the worst in the country. It is. It's horrific. It's horrendous. And the fact that you have this like right under the lip. What is Jim Watson doing for that? Like, this is, again, this is my question. What are we doing at a local level? Well, Jim Watson would say he doesn't have anything to do with that. But yeah, it's not his jurisdiction. Because he it's would say provincial. that's a provincial. It's provincial. So it's like uh, a hot potato. Oh, so potato. it's Kathleen Wynne. Oh, great. Great, great. She'll okie-dokie that, too. Well, and we've had three <laughs> corrections ministers in Ontario in the last, basically, three years. So there's... There's some some hot potato going on. Even the brand new super jail that they built down in Toronto that was supposed to be like this amazing new, you know, justice system model or whatever because the inmates get to co-mingle with the um, the corrections officers or whatever. It's it's a nightmare. And there's so much violence there. There's overcrowding. But it's because nobody wants to think outside of the box when it comes to justice, right? Everyone's like, well, we've got to lock people up. 
but we don't. Uh, community programs could work, but nobody's willing to think about it. Because people are scared. People don't want... Yeah, everybody wants to be tough on crime. Yeah. yeah. But, you know... It doesn't work. Rehabilitation is better than... Punitive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If we were thinking about rehabilitative or transformative justice instead of retribution and retributive-based justice, then yeah. we would be in a better place. And we would see less reoffending. But I don't, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> like no. you said, we can't even get bathrooms for people. It's like we're just, nobody's willing to let people heal in the community. This is why I can't do politics. We yeah. can't even get bathrooms for people at the municipal level. Yeah. yeah. There was all that hullabaloo a couple summers ago about ba- uh, genderless bathrooms in Ottawa. Yeah. And people complaining because the bylaw says, or I don't know if it's a bylaw or if it's a provincial law that says you have to have properly men's and women's labeled restrooms. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, for a while, nobody could even feed their children with their breasts in public. So it was like, you know, we finally got there in city spaces. Yeah. I feel like that was only like 10 years ago or something. Just, we just love feeding my child. We love patrolling women's bodies, don't we? Mm-hmm. Like... Like, breasts are only good enough if they're serving, like, a sexual male agenda. Yeah, Hooters is fine, but, but God but help you if God you help you if you need to feed your child. <laughs> that is women's issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Okay. So, okay. So, I have to say, let me just put my piece on this budget. Um, let me just kind of... What I saw at a big, like, a general level with this budget is a government that kind of recognizes that shit is changing, and they want to obviously put... It seemed more cohesive to me than previous budgets, Mm -hmm. and only because, like, there are things like the EI, the extension of EI, Mm -hmm. in terms of, so now you you can seek training... And still be on EI. Um, the extension of EI to pregnant women. 12 weeks before they give birth or up to 12 weeks. And what I see is a lot of consumption smoothing. Yes. Yeah. In uh, a world that is increasingly uncertain and economically treacherous. So there is that. And there is a lot of investment being put into more digital transformative stuff, Mm -hmm. which is what this country needs to be brought into digital kicking and screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm wow. I like, I I still, people still tell me they don't have websites or web presence and they, and they're, and they're proud of that. And I'm like, why are you proud? Like, if you don't appear online somewhere... You don't exist. You yeah. don't exist. And if you don't exist, I think you're like Ted Kaczynski in, in <laughs> <laughs> you know, building a bomb, okay? Okay, yeah. that's my piece. And you as the digital strategist, you, Bailey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. So, I, I thought that... I thought that I will give the liberals some credit... And I thought that the budget seemed like it was setting up a frame, a sort of transformative framework in terms of how we think about where we're going to get this national income from and how we're going to make the adjustment between jobs a little bit easier mm-hmm. or between time off a little bit easier. And I thought, I think that that is something that we need to talk about more 
about how, you know, getting a jo- getting good grades won't get you a good job anymore. Like, let's just cut that and stop telling we kids that. We need to stop relying mm-hmm. on fossil fuels. We need Those to stop jobs relying, are yeah. mm-hmm. not a shoe in anymore. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that entrepreneurship is on the table, but I'd like to see a little bit more around that. Yeah. And in terms of, I'd like to see more programs for female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs of color and young entrepreneurs. Well, young entrepreneurs have good, Mm -hmm. they have a good found, they have good programs for them. Mm -hmm. But one thing is, why is the status of women Canada currently so underfunded? Yep. Why don't they deliver these programs through status of women Canada? Mm-hmm. Or shut up shop and let's just put then let's put a gender based office or something within every department. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like let's stop straddling the fence and make a decision on this. Yeah. Okay, moving on to our next segment, Rent and Receipts. So the story that I'm going to share this week is from the National Post. um, And the headline is, Trudeau pressed to discipline male liberal MP who joked about female Tory MP being a stripper. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh my god. Sorry, in case you didn't hear, that was all of the massive eye rolls happening around this table. (laughs) Um, so, uh, in the House of Commons Committee on Public Safety and Security, uh, earlier this month, um, the cell phone of Conservative MP Diane Watts, uh, went off, and it was, uh, a personalized, uh, ringtone for her daughter, which was, (laughs) is referred to as a jaunty (laughs) ringtone. (laughs) What does that mean? I what don't is, like that makes me think of like do 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 like yeah. jaunty to me is like from 1942. Yeah. <laughs> so Which that, tells you a lot about who's running this country. But <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a conservative. Yeah. Um so then the ringtone prompted uh, a liberal MP uh Diorio um to say Where's your pole to slide down on? So it was probably actually Beyonce's partition. (laughs) Makes me wish I had a pole in my house every time I listen to it. I love that song. Um, (laughs) Anyways, this just created this whole hullabaloo. And now people are asking the Prime Minister to address these comments. um, Because, you know, Diane Watts says that clearly when a comment is made to a woman about sliding down a pole, that's... A reference to a stripper pole, and I think that's how everybody took it, meaning everyone who was in the committee with them. <laughs> and I've heard from some people that they think that this is a reference to, like, a, a firefighter's pole. Like, no. Or something else. <laughs> well, how jaunty was the ringtone? I think we need to hear the ringtone. I want to know what the ringtone <laughs> is so bad. Because then we'll know, was it a fireman's pole or was it a stripper pole? I don't know. I, I hope it's, it's two jaunty. chains. It's the- I, I hope it's two chains. I really do. <laughs> like, I hope it's just pure ratchetness. Like, I can, I can see where the people who are saying that it's a reference to a firefighter pole because, like, yeah. firefighters, you know, they in, in movies the they slide down poles. They do. And, like, strippers, stripper poles, like, aren't 
tall enough to really slide down on in the I'm same way. I'm not even going to dignify. No. But, <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like, I can see where, like, how they may think that. But, like, they, clearly they've thinking. never been to a strip club. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. So none of the men have been to a strip club, right? So they would never know what they a stripper pole looks like. Like, no. get, the, get the fuck out of here. I, I just, like, <laughs> I'm like, all the people who are like, well, it could be a firefighter pole. I'm like, you're just looking for reasons. And I'm not here for it. Well, and I think, you know, had he said that to a man after a jaunty ringtone... He wouldn't have said that to a man. Well, he might have meant a firefighter pole. Because to a man, I, I think I agree with this woman MP who's saying, obviously when you say it to a woman, it's the presumption of a stripper pole. And also problematic, like, you know what? Sex work is real work. And so I feel like he's, like, undermining her on so many levels, right? Like, that it's a negative thing. Like, the whole thing is just... If you want to strip and you want to slide down poles, girl, you do your thing. I feel as though he is using a sexual remark to bring her down a peg. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. In front of a whole group In of colleagues. In front of caucus. Yeah. Okay? And I wouldn't be surprised if they had a run-in before mm. and, you know, this is just yet something else he does or says. I'm yeah. pretty sure he has a pretty colorful history and well. nobody's bothered to... To call him out on it. Yeah. And the fact that he felt fine enough to just say it in front of this group of people just goes to show, obviously, that the sexualized culture that is on the hill that we already well, sort of knew about. Well, yeah. Gosh. I mean, I, I just... And the, so, what is the PM part of this? They want him to reprimand the, the MP. How? Excellent question. Just to make a public statement, I guess, about how it's inappropriate. But we have a public not statement already. From the PM? No, not from no. the PM. But really? I, I just... Really? I, I don't know. I, I know, wouldn't mind it. I'm not saying yeah. that he shouldn't. Yeah. But, you know... Like. I would rather, like, action be taken in the sense of, like, then, you know what, maybe all male MPs on the fucking hill, no matter what... You are, you need to sit down for a workplace violence and harassment training and everyone needs to talk about what's the appropriate kind of thing to say in the workplace and what is not. Hashtag hire Bailey. Yeah, hashtag I freelance. <laughs> <laughs> so call me. Uh, yeah, I just, the, the whole thing is ridiculous. I, I'm dying to know what the ringtone was. I know. Me and too. the funniest part of this article is that they called it jaunty. If you know what the ringtone was, please let us know. Let us know. Let us know. Send us a sample or something. I hope it's two chains. I really do. I like maybe it was just like was two it just like three. a was it just a setting on her like what if it was like just a come with the phone ringtone that was just like do 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 maybe it was the merengue do 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 that's kind of enough to find that jaunty actually <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. and 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 I don't know what these pole like. Pole-like. Pole-like. That's everything. This whole... I can't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Erica, do you want to go next? I'll go next. (laughs) Yay. Okay, I'm going to take a different country and I'm going to take a turn. Okay. Great. So, all... I had a nice white feminism thing, like, lined up, and then all of a sudden my timeline on Twitter... And Instagram just blew up with these 
with these um, oh. <laughs> missing black and Latina girls from D.C. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. Okay, so... Um, on social media, people are using the hashtag Missing DC Girls to voice frustration over lack of media coverage in what many believe is an uptick in cases of missing black and Latina girls. Um, now, the Metro, so the Washington DC Metro Police Department they deny that there's been an uptick. They are just saying that they're using social media more effectively to spread the word oh. and um, to publicize missing persons <clears throat> reports. And what he, what um, acting police chief Peter Newsham said is that sharing them more on social media is given, giving the impression the number of cases has increased when they haven't. Mm. So basically, he's basically saying you're all crazy. Okay. Yeah, the old, no, 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 we're just doing a better job of getting people to report right. sexual violence. We're, we're not seeing an increase in, in sexual, sexual violence. violence. No, no, not at all. According to the Black and Missing Foundation, though, an organization that brings awareness to missing children of color, 36.8% of missing children nationwide are black. Whew. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. So what they say is we also noticed that a lot of African-American children that go missing are initially classified as runaways. Mm. So let me break and just say this is an example of systemic racism. Yeah. yeah. And this is an example of how a system can be used to promote racism mm -hmm. and how the outcomes for people of color are different from their white counterparts. Because we're assuming that they're runaways because they're trying to escape an awful situation yeah. because they are fleeing violence and you know all of those awful things that Donald Trump says about Chicago. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes, exactly. And then underneath that, it's like, oh, those animals don't take care of their kids. Yep. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's there's that underlying yeah, issue too. Like, yeah. So now, <clears throat> not being... <laughs> so the DC mayor... Who is awesome. She's rad. R really? Ooh. I didn't know she had a fan club. <laughs> big, big fan of Mayor Bowser. Okay. You know what? Tell us why. Tell us why. She just, she refused to go to the opening of uh, the Trump Hotel in D.C., boycotted it. Oh, wow. Uh, she's very anti-Trump. She's just very, very pro, uh, so she's black. Mm -hmm. um, so she's very inclusive, um, and D.C. is just a very liberal city anyway, so um, it's really cool to see that she's like willing to take a stand against things yeah. like that. Yeah. That's Politicians who take a stand these days are rare. Yeah. 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 Especially in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag truth. <laughs> okay. I have no opinion on the situation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. DC Mayor Muriel E. Bowser announced Friday that the city will dedicate more resources to children who go missing. 
It also follows a call by members of the Congressional Black Caucus on Thursday asking the FBI to assist D.C. police in their investigation of missing children. Let's 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 just break here and realize which FBI we're talking about. Is this the Comey FBI? Because <laughs> yeah. and and Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who cares about black people? Right. This is what we're in right now. Okay. I also, I have a number of other feelings on this, but okay. Hold those. Hold those. <laughs> They're completely, Let me just... completely unrelated. Oh, well. Ba- Bowser, or Bowser, I can't, I don't Bowser, know. Bowser. Is I it think, Bowser? I think, oh, yeah. Okay. Will increase the number of police officers assigned to find missing children and establish a task force to determine what social services teenagers who run away need to stabilize their home lives. The city would also allocate more money to nonprofit organizations that work with vulnerable teenagers. Her office said the goal is to ensure the city agencies work together to protect children and that the onus doesn't fall entirely on the police department, which I think I applaud. Mm -hmm. Um, Multidisciplinary approaches to things I'm here for. Um, I also think that... Okay, I have a couple of thoughts. Number one, what what a do something politician instead of commissioning a survey yeah. or 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 a or a paper or a white paper or a panel, she actually did something. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and second of all, shout out to Black Twitter. I mean, my God. Yeah. I mean, Black Twitter can do anything at this point. Now it's just solving <laughs> cases. Like, <laughs> like, I'm just like, I just like, <laughs> I just want, I want everybody who's a feminist and who, who, who is an ally or whomever, when you want to know how to resist, when you need to know how to drive an agenda, you look at Black Twitter and now Black Instagram and see how they do it because they are killing it. Yeah. Killing it. Bringing these... The only reason that this was picked up was because it was it was being talked about on social media so much. Yeah. And then the, polit- the news outlets picked it up. And then the politicians responded because the news outlets and social media picked it up. That's how you do resistance. Okay, that mm-hmm. sounds... That's, go ahead, Erin. Oh, I just find it insanely hypocritical that the Congressional Black Caucus is asking the FBI to assist D.C. police because they're asking, they're giving D.C. help when all D.C. laws have to get passed through Congress. Ooh. Because D.C. is not a state. Right. So D.C. is voted for... Um, um, euthanasia and assisted dying has to go through the house. Will not pass. Mm. They have gone um, in the 2016 election. They voted like 97% in favor of statehood. Has to go through the house. Will not pass. Hmm. So any DC law has to go through the house of representatives. Oh, good lord! It is insane. So a very liberal city, a very liberal. I mean. Uh, district area cannot make progressive laws because it has to go through a republican run house oh interesting Hmm. but that's okay because the house wants something from dc no like they they're they they want 
they want help DC's help to find these girls. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Well, too bad the RCMP can't lend any hands. Haven't found the 2,000 missing indigenous women. Well, there... We've got nothing well, to okay. offer. So, there we go. <laughs> there we go. So, as a parallel to this... Thank mm-hmm. you, Bailey. As a parallel to this, uh, what's going on with that? With the 2,000 missing well, they mentioned, and murdered indigenous they women? Well, they mentioned the inquiry in the budget, in the federal budget. So, uh, I assume the inquiry is, is moving ahead, moving forward. They haven't... I, I mean, they're hiring comms people and stuff, so I think stuff is happening, but I don't know. I don't know where that's at. I don't know where the RCMP is at with it, especially. Where is the RCMP at in general? Because well, it's record with their women. Own, they've got their... Well... Not and, too great. And they just were talking about it on the news the other day that lo- even lots of men are leaving the RCMP because it's such a toxic culture. Oh, and they're And they're afraid. Like, they're, they don't get the backup that they need. And so they're leaving right. to go to um, city police stations where they wow. get way better... They're just treated better generally. Really? So there's like this mass exodus from the RCMP. The RCMP has some troubles. Bob Paulson, Paulson, you can call me too, and we can talk, because I can help. Yes, you can. Yeah. So. Really? Yeah, that's where the RCMP's at. But anyway. So what do you think is, so you, I'm, I'm deferring to you because you have a background in working with marginalized people who have been criminalized. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have a background of working within the justice system. So what do you, what is it about the culture of police for those who are listening, who may not make the link, um, that allows women of color to just go by the wayside and not be, you know, yeah, well, I think a lot of it is what you already talked about, that there's just this presumption, certainly here in Canada, there's a presumption that women are, Indigenous women are doing unsafe, quote-unquote, work, yeah. and that they're involved in the sex trade or whatever, which should be safe work. It should be legitimate work, and it should be safe work. Um, but that there's also, like, not every Indigenous woman in Canada is involved in sex work, so that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's It's just a racist, systemic assumption. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially when you're talking about women's bodies that we tend to sexualize, so certainly, like, you know, the sexy mm-hmm. Indian princess, I'm mm-hmm. using that, like, in the term of, like, that's what you could buy from the store for Halloween. Sexy Pocahontas. Yeah, sexy, yeah, Pocahontas, you know. <laughs> oh, my I, God. There's a legit, I'm quoting... From a uh, from a thing, there was one that was that like... That sounds so dude, bro. Yeah, there was another one that was called Reservation Royalty. <gasps> and I was like, oh, oh my, my god. god. That is so wrong on so many levels. Oh my god. Like, considering, like, the lack of clean water <laughs> in so Like, now, like, anyway. So, so this brings me to yet another... So then I'm going to come back to the 53% <laughs> because this is my thing. Okay. So, where is feminism on this? Where is feminism? Okay, I've seen a little, a little bit on missing and murdered indigenous women. Yeah. But where is feminism when black and brown bodies need protecting and children need protecting? Where the fuck is the march for that? Yeah. Where's the march for, like well, you said, the water quality situation on reservations? Yeah. Where is that? Well, and it's not even just a Canada-US thing. You can no. look you can look to Mexico and the city of Juarez in Mexico has like twenty thousand missing or murdered indigenous women in Juarez. And there's like 
the, literally, I think people are just like, I don't know. Like, not only, like, not only are they indigenous, but they're Mexican indigenous. So yeah. they really can't be bothered. Yeah. You know? And it's just, yeah, yeah there, there's certain, you know. There, there is a vigil held in on Parliament Hill October fourth every year by Sisters in Spirit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's certainly not not the Pussy Hat March, that's for sure. No. Yeah, I think it's just a really complex issue that will take a lot of time for people to understand, and mm-hmm. we're just bad at explaining the issue itself in very accessible mm-hmm. ways for people who aren't familiar with the situation. Yeah. Connie Walker just uh, shout out to Femifesto. They just nominated, um, and Connie Walker won as the best investigative reporting for her podcast, Who Killed Alberta Williams, the Missing and Murdered podcast. And I think that that, that was a good step forward because it sort of, hum- like, there was an actual woman, like, at the center of it where people could kind of get their minds around it. Like, if you say just numbers, people are like, oh, well, it's not my daughter, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My phone buzzed between my legs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Bailey, what's your rent and receipts on that note? Uh, well, so mine is we'll we'll stick. Well, we get to hop over the pond again. We what would this podcast be without a bad article from the UK? Um, so. Uh, this week, I noticed on social media, there was a lot of people posting this article. So I'm looking at the one by The Independent in the UK. But basically, a teenage girl was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. and uh, But before that, she had done everything that we tell women to do. She had reported it to the police. Everybody knew that he was stalking her and harassing her and abusive with her. But rather than protecting her, the police fined her for wasting their time. <gasps> mm-hmm. And decided that they they said because she obviously this is a police force that does not understand the cycle of abuse. So she um, had a restraining order against her ex, and then uh, after he assaulted her, he like during the restraining order he went and assaulted her. She went to the police and said he assaulted me. He he breached the restraining order or whatever. Then when the police went to the, to the guy's house, uh, he was like, he showed them text messages that he had exchanged with her. So then the police fined her for wasting their time because they said, well, you failed to disclose that he's your on again, off again boyfriend, which is just like, oh, so ridiculous. Anyway, so the guy slit her throat and she's dead now. Um, Ooh, yeah. he slit her throat? Yes. So now all oh of my- this has come out. Sorry, trigger warning. <laughs> uh, all of this has come out. In um, in the court case. And it's just like, it's just so sad. And then I noticed that in a related article in Quebec, a young woman was murdered this week by her, her ex-boyfriend. And she actually went to the house. She was escorted with a police officer. She went to her to their shared place or whatever to get her things. The police officer escorted her, but because he didn't go in first, her her boyfriend killed her literally the second she got in the door. And her mother and the police officer came in 20 or 30 seconds too late and she was also murdered so wait 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry let me back up okay yeah so this is in quebec she so in In, quebec in uh mont saint hilaire that's my best french accent i that's okay uh like yeah and i mean both of these 
women 18 and like 17 or something just like young and so full of life and and it, it, it just makes me really angry because they you know this is when we tell women who are in abusive relationships when we're like well why don't you just leave or why didn't she just leave we have to think about things like this women are at risk they're most at risk when they leave so first of all that's not a helpful thing to tell women and then when the police are saying things like, oh, well, now you've wasted our time because you texted him, this is even why though he we, assaulted you. This is why they're not reporting. Exactly. This is why women don't report. This is why police need much better understanding of, like, the abuse cycle and, you know, justice from a gender lens. And, you know, just be, like, in this, I think, I, I don't want to talk about Gian Gameshi every single time we have this podcast, but, like, when we looked at what happened in that court case when, you know, people were like, well, the, his lawyer was like, well, why did you text him after? Like, you know what? Sometimes dudes do weird, offensive, hurtful things to me, and I still talk to them after. Same. You know? Who has it? Yeah. So it's like, we can't have that be the only answer. Just leave him and never speak to him again. That's ridiculous. None of these women had kids, but if they had had kids, of course they would have had to talk to the father of their kids again. Like, we can't have tunnel vision about this well, stuff. Well, this, this kind of goes, speaks directly to the work that Robin Doolittle has been doing yeah. with the unfounded yeah. stuff. Yeah. Which... Shout out to Robin Doolittle. Yeah. So explain that a little bit. So there was a 20-some month investigation mm-hmm. um, done by the Globe um, into reports of sexual assault. Ah, uh, uh, yes. That mm-hmm. basically police uh, offices had deemed to be unfounded. So, mm-hmm. you know, women would go and report their this their assault and their abuse and police would determine that there wasn't enough evidence to either go to a trial or to take the complaint seriously and then it was deemed to be unfounded. Mm-hmm. And many times the victim was never notified that nothing had progressed. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and the Ottawa police had a 29% unfounded rate. Although if you talk to the Ottawa police now, they say they only have an 8% unfounded rate because they changed the way they filed things. Oh, so good. So they were like, no, it's not unfounded anymore. Now we just call it unfounded, not solved, which means we still believe the woman, but we just didn't solve. I'm like, "Mm, okay, well, (laughs) calling it unfounded isn't really the answer still. (laughs) Institutional sexism. Yeah. So anyway, that's this. The my rent mercies just really bummed me out this week. Just, that like, is really, a bummer. Just like really... she, the she went with the police officer. Yeah, and I like I, and I'm sure this police officer is now living with a horrible amount of guilt. Yeah, you know, and I I yeah am compassionate for that. So but am why I. wouldn't he have gone in first? But why why did the police officer not as the police escort? Not go in first. Because I just, I these can't... things are seen as domestic squabbles first. Yeah, exactly. And not <clears throat> an actual crime. Yeah. And so it's like it's like marital rape, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just a domestic squabble. Yeah, exactly. Like, why didn't she just put out and do her her wifely duty? Yeah. We call it a wifely duty. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, when it's real. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it and it terrorizes. And I, I, I really hope that on some level we come to understand that these are more than just domestic squabbles and that people die. Yeah. I, I, I don't, this has to be a cultural change and it has to be like a national cultural change, mm-hmm. which doesn't give me much hope, but. <laughs> well, let's put that in the strategy. The yes. Strategy. Let's put that in the strategy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
All right, our third and final segment, Misogynist of the Week. And it looks like we've got two contenders this week, uh, starting with the StatsCan guy. <laughs> so not just any StatsCan guy. Um, this was the from the uh, parody account uh, on Twitter, at stats underscore Canada. I'm sure yeah. you'll, you'll know the account, like, 4% of... Saskatchewan residents like Don't things me. that people in Saskatchewan like. Right. Okay. Wheat. Fuddruckers. <laughs> I don't know. There used to be a Fuddruckers. I don't know if there's still one in Saskatoon, but it was the shit. The Fuddruckers. The Fuddruckers. Oh my god. They're the Fuddruckers <laughs> in Vancouver. Loved it. I've See? Never, I've never heard of the Fuddruckers. Really? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so <laughs> the, uh, the man who was originally started this account ran... Bostelar uh, from Toronto. He basically owned up this past week or late last week um, to having posted photos and contact information for women that he knew on the well, the hellhole of the internet, 4chan. Mm, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He apparently didn't post any nude photos. He was just taking these photos from Snapchat. Um, and basically said, posted on 4chan with these images and their, uh, Snapchat usernames, um, that this, these were people who were basically very likely that they were going to, users would receive nudes or sexually suggestive photos from them. Um, which is awful. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he also apparently, um, had previously posted... Uh, nude photos of an ex-girlfriend on, on 4chan. Um, also, some of his wife, apparently. Oh, my God. Oh my God. What? Yeah. And basically, like, the women who he had been posting about recently found out. Um, they contacted each other and basically found out that he was a common thread amongst them. And they confronted him and he he admitted to it. And then he posted a, a thing on Facebook saying that he was really remorseful for his actions. And basically he, he liked the excitement of the possibility of getting caught. So why can't he get caught with his own dick? Yeah, seriously. Why does he have to, why does he have to post nudes of women? They weren't always nudes. It could have been like bikini or, shots. Sorry, sorry, or... not nudes. You're right. Um, but like suggestive photos and basically telling everybody on 4chan that they're, that they're DTF. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't understand why... You know, and this guy has been doing it since 2005. At yeah. least that's... That's crazy. That, yeah. Well, that's why some women that I work with mentioned that they have a Google alert on their name, and I was like, that is brilliant. Yeah. See, I share a name with a, with a composer <laughs> from Montreal. Oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I do Google myself every now and then, though, yeah, like just gotta, to like make check. sure that you know. Well, and the other thing, this is making me. I saw a campaign this week. I think it was out of BC, and it was like an, an exploited children's campaign or something. And it was all these all these PSAs for young people, where it was like you you could see like that the person was naked, but then in front of like their nude bits or whatever, they had like this like a looking like a 
you know, Emma, not Emma, send messenger. That would be a, that would be an outdated campaign, but like, uh, like an, like a messenger looking thing that says like, are you sure you want to f- sign this photo or like a terms and conditions about sending the photo or whatever. And it's like, we don't need to tell young people not to send nudes or to post sexy pictures of themselves. They can do whatever they want. We need to target men like this who are taking ownership of these images and then like for their own thrills, posting them on 4chan. Like that's, that's what the PSA the should be. Yeah. yeah. Send as many fucking sexy photos as you want. <laughs> you know? Not How many do you send, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's... Yeah, Snapchat is a fun thing. <laughs> and I am glad I own it. Snapchat is the shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, like, I just feel like when we tell young people not to send sexy photos of themselves or not to post photos of themselves on Instagram in their bikini when they're 15 and they look fine, like, that's the problem. That Like, they can do whatever they want. The problem is these people that are exploiting it. Yeah. Um, and just for everyone else, um, on April 1st in Brooklyn, if you're in the, the area, there is um, a March Against Revenge porn. Oh, nice. Yeah, cool. so um, go support them. Yeah. So where is the March for DC girls? Missing black and Latino DC. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, the mayor's involved. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just say, pull up your socks, feminism. (laughs) You see who you show up for. All right. And then, of course, (laughs) yeah. Our second contender for misogynist of the week is... The uh, Freedom Caucus. Yeah, the Freedom Caucus. Yay. Tell us about it. The Freedom Caucus. So, um, so do you? Do, so the Freedom Caucus is a group of far right Republicans from the House of Representatives, um, who are very, very, very white, all male, I believe, and they have a lot of feelings. Yeah, and apparently they tanked Obamacare or the repeal of Obamacare. I heard. God bless the Freedom Caucus. I know. <laughs> until you see this picture. And there, is a, there was a picture circulating around social media of the, the Freedom Caucus met with Trump, with President Trump, I think, within the last, like, 48 to 72 hours, um, and basically talked about the repeal of Obamacare, but within that talk, they talked about women's health. Mm. And basically, all you have is a group of, we'll post it up, on the website. It's a lot of bald white men. Yeah, there's a lot of bald white men. I think there's one blonde woman. Oh, really? That's Kellyanne Conway. Oh. oh. Yes, that's yeah. right. No, okay. Okay. Sorry. I was yeah, like, that makes I, sense. It's a small photo. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. So, basically taking positions on whether or not a woman should get a mammogram. Oh. And have access to cancer screening. Yes. And be able to pay for labor. That's right. Mm. Having a baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so all of these men have decided those things. That's right. Well, they were arguing in favor of those things. Oh, yeah. That's nice of them. I know. Like, <laughs> what would we do without them? We'd have to do shit ourselves. So they they want women to have to pay for their mammograms and their cancer screen, or they said, "Wait, Obamacare can cover those things." No, they wanted to pull funding for those things. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Pay out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those critical health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. Um, ambulances. Yeah. Which Planned Parenthood does a lot of in uh, communities of color. 
and poor uh-huh. white communities too. Oh, cancer I didn't screening, know that. Yeah. yeah, cancer screening, mammograms, basically women's health, basically did, women. Did you read that from my newsletter? Oh. <laughs> well, let's plug the newsletter. Yes. Plug the newsletter. Plug the newsletter. Uh, my newsletter, Intersections, covers a lot of feminism, race issues, pop culture. Uh, tinyletter.com forward slash Aaron underscore G to subscribe. Nice. We're all subscribed. Yeah. Um, okay, so good. So all these men have made critical decisions about uh, an entire country of women's health. Right. Mm. Good. Yeah. That seems really reasonable. Totally. <laughs> yeah, and like about this whole like American Healthcare Act thing, even though it's like done with. For now. For now. Um, I find that like people, particularly in the Freedom Caucus, who want to pull all of this public funding for healthcare, they have such a sweet deal because they're in the house. So they, none of these issues literally affect them. Or their families. Mm-hmm. I think they really need to go into the communities and talk to people. Mm-hmm. But they have. Talk this to is people. Why, <laughs> this is why Obamacare is not being repealed. <laughs> Did you see all the town halls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, but like, I mean, like, they need to go and, like, understand and, like, live the life of a normal. Right. But they won't. No. No. That would be silly. You know, I, I would feel, be informed. I feel like the next time Sophie Gregoire Trudeau sings a song, that should be her penance. Oh my god. Can she please, you know what, Sophie, please write us a song about the Freedom Caucus. <gasps> yes. You know? Like, it could be like a song. It could be a really good song. It could be jaunty. <laughs> I want a song. I want a song. I think that's it. I think that's it for this week. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod. And send us an email if you want to give us feedback or send us some articles to, you know, talk about. Bad and B Pod at gmail.com. And don't forget to uh, rate us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Five stars, please. Thanks. Bye. 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 bye.